The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the Buddha's early discourses was the fire sermon. In the fire sermon, he talks about how everything in the world is burning. The eye is burning. The ear is burning. Ear consciousness is burning. And he goes through all of the senses and he speaks about the way in which there's a fire of contact and the flame of wanting and not wanting that arises dependent on contact and the burning that comes from that. And so in the Buddha's teachings again and again and again and again and again and again and again, there are repeated encouragements to look at the reality of this world as being unstable, unreliable, that there isn't anything in the world of sense contact or the world of ideas or the world of form that we can grab hold on to and say, this is going to be my refuge. You know, the sunset or the thoughts that we have or the feelings that we have or my body health right now or the relationships that I have, this is going to be the thing that I can hold on to is going to last forever. And, you know, it's human that we want that. We want to have a sense of safety. We want to be able to find something that we can rely on. It's normal. But part of the reason why the Buddha's teaching is so powerful is because the Buddha is constantly reminding us where we need to place our attention in order to find refuge. That it's not in the world of changing circumstances that we are going to find lasting happiness, lasting satisfaction and refuge. We have to look in another place. So my mom is 86 years old. She lives in Santa Rosa, California. And I, the last time I lived with her, I was 17 years old. The last time I lived in the same area as her, I was 17 years old. So I'm 54, so there's been a few years now that mom and I haven't lived in the same town. Well, with the last several years, her health has done what it normally does when you're around that age. You know, it's a slip-sliding slope in a particular direction. And her, she's frail. You know, bright, courageous, you know, a spitfire, and frail. So I said, time to move home. You know, time to move back into the same area as mom. And mom is ecstatic absolutely ecstatic that I'm back in the same area as she is. And she introduces me to her friends and her community and all of her people. And she says with this Yiddish word, kvel, you know, this pride that fills up the whole space, this is my daughter and she's here forever. You know, and I so get it, you know, being elderly and health challenges and the craziness of our world and how vulnerable it is for people when they're older, you know, 
to have family nearby, it's like, yeah, you know, you want to believe. It's that I'm going to be there forever. And that's my intention, is to be there for as long as she's living, you know, to be based there. Forever. To be there forever. So, you know, it it doesn't really matter how people voted on this last election. What all of us are feeling is that there's been quite a shift. And there's a lot of agitation and anxiety and fear. And it's expressing itself in different ways, in different communities, in different people. And I think for all of us, we have an opportunity to use this for really understanding what is true refuge. Not for closing our eyes and shutting down and refusing to see the challenges that are in front of us, for distancing ourselves from the people who are more vulnerable and more frightened than maybe we are, you know, whose privileges are much less than ours, who have much more at stake than we do, you know. But for all of us, we have an opportunity to use this as a way of really touching in something that is stable and lasting. And what is that? What is stable and lasting in this world, at this time, at this particular junction in history? What is stable and lasting? Certainly, it's not the government. (laughs) It's not the weather. You know? It's not my ideas. It's not my feelings. It's not my body. What's stable and lasting? So the whole of the Buddha's teachings is to take us into an inquiry that uh, lets us connect with foundations of mindfulness, our body, so that we can open up to the quality of awareness that is then able to know what it is that we experience. And then begin to shift our allegiance from identifying with the things that we're thinking and feeling to shifting our allegiance to the awareness that knows, to the heart that is embracing and includes. This is an excellent community and excellent in that the foundations are really well established here. The teaching has been thorough, consistent, and the results are excellent in terms of people understanding the tools of meditation. And now what we need to do is understand that these tools that we have been living with and practicing with are there to bring about the fruit of resting and realizing refuge. Refuge is not just a chant we do. Because it's 
the thing we do. Refuge is that abiding place that is vast, it's pervasive, it's timeless, it's ever-present. It was here long before we ever showed up and will be here long after we go. This is why we practice to realize this. So one of the blessings of this chaos of the time that we're in, the unsettledness, the agitation, the uncertainty, is is that it really highlights how unstable the world is that we're living in and accentuates the critical importance of refuge. That we know, we touch, we affirm, we have access to what does not shake and tremble in this burning world. Now, I have had tremendous privilege in my life, and one of the privileges of my life is is that I've had close contact with incredible, powerful nature. And when I'm in incredible, powerful nature, usually the first thing that I try and do is go find some place where I can lie down. And when I lie down, I relax. And like others, I have been trained or have a kind of like latent hypervigilance in my system where it's really hard for me just to relax, even when I try. But when I relax and I let my body unfold into something that holds me, then the hypervigilance can release. And what would happen to me in these power places when I would do this is that my body would soften into the rocks and mind would open and there would be a dropping away of body and mind and and an opening to this awareness that is vast. And this awareness and love are two sides of the same thing. Sometimes the experience is of the clarity and the, the... of 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 just the quality of observation, of knowing. And sometimes the, the characteristic is of warmth, of connection. But in both instances, with pervasive love and pervasive awareness, there's a sense of absolutely no separation between me and anything else. So it's not like I am there as the solid lump that is doing the meditation. It's like the sense of me falls apart and there's awareness and love that is flowing out and in. I'm a conduit. I'm like an empty vessel from which it radiates and into which it all pours. 
And the sense of me is just a thin veil. And in that, there is confidence. Absolute confidence. This is the path. That in that experience of pervasive love and awareness, whatever needs to be done, we will find a way to meet it. And if I die, and certainly I will, sooner or later, there's a sense of no regret. And I shake as much as anyone else shakes with the kinds of uncertainty that we're navigating. But when I touch that, there's no shaking. I don't have the answers in terms of the strategies of what we need to do in order to solve the problems that we're facing. But I have confidence and courage that I can show up and be a part of collaborating, where do we begin? It doesn't matter how any of us voted in this last election. But what matters is that all of us find refuge. Because in that experience of refuge, there isn't a splitting of us's and them's. There aren't the ones who are in and the ones who are out. Awareness and love that is pervasive excludes nothing, excludes no one, includes everyone and everything. It is the bridge over troubled water. The practice, precepts, Generosity, the foundations of mindfulness are all incredibly important tools and practices that help us clear the obstacles and generate the access to refuge. But a tool is not the result. And while it's incredibly important to keep our tools sharp, it's also important not to hang on to them as the result, as the goal, as the end. Because the tool is not the end. The tool is the pathway to the end. 
And one of the tools is our connection, our support, our community involvement and concern with each other. How are you? What do you need right now? How can I support? The fear levels are high. I mean, that even qualifies as an English understatement. (laughs) (laughs) And for different people, there's different reasons why they're frightened. What do you need right now? What support? How can I show up? How can we show up to help you so that you have access to what you need? Now, safe is different than comfortable. And sometimes we mix these two things up. And in lieu of wanting safety, we shut down conversations which are difficult and important because they're not comfortable. And right now, Like, there are so many difficult conversations that are asking to be had about power, about race, about privilege, about just about everything. We need to learn how to differentiate between our need for safety and our addiction to comfort. The more we have access to refuge, the more we're able to differentiate those two because we can track the difference between them and how we experience them in ourselves. In the Udana, in one of the uh, the utterances of the Buddha, it goes something like this. There is the unborn, the uncreated, the unbecome. If there wasn't the unborn, the uncreated, and the unbecome, there would be no escape from the born, the created, and the become. But because there is the unborn, the unconditioned, and the unbecome, there is an escape. There is a way out of everything that is burning. And this way out is not, see you later there, I'm out of here. This is the way out that allows us to connect with the refuge that doesn't shake, that then allows us to fully engage Because when I am not shaking, I can show up with you when you are. When I am shaking, I need you to show up for me when I am. I'm not so available. I need support.
the whole point of the Buddha's practice, the whole point of meditation, the whole point of refuge and precepts and community is to access this and stabilize it and reflect it in each other. That this is who you are. This is what you are made out of. This is what you can rely on. Not the government. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't engage wisely in electing people who we feel are going to do the best possible job to take care of the things that need taking care of. It doesn't mean that we can neglect our civil responsibilities, but it just means that we do not put too much emphasis on them to find that here inside in each of us. I want to leave a few moments for questions or comments, and then I want to close with a chant that we can all do together. It's a refuge chant. Can somebody be runner? Maybe everybody can be runner. can just pass it. Questions? When you talk about the refuge, I think of it as the stillness and the peace. But um, I also see... You know, it is the thoughts, it's all of it, because it's, when I stay in the stillness for too long, it's like, okay, a little bored now. I mean, first it's like, oh, I love this, and then it's like, a little bored now, and then a little bit of the drama comes up, so I see that, and then it's like, okay, too much of that, let's go back to the stillness. Am I missing something? <laughs> So refuge is not a reaction to noise. It's something that includes and transcends it. I have never experienced boredom in that experience of pervasive love and awareness. Never. 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 I've never experienced boredom. I've never experienced anxiety. I've never experienced a sense of loneliness. Those things have not arisen in that experience. So stillness by itself is not the same as refuge. Okay? I, I think I know what you're talking about because I had two days when I just said yes to everything that came up in my mind and there was so much love even if there was anxiety. Yes. And it encompassed yeah. it all. But today yeah. um, I was trying to get to the stillness and then it gets a little dry when I try to stay in the stillness. So brilliant seeing that when you try to get to the stillness and uh-huh. try to stay in the stillness, yes. there's something about the trying which actually is counterproductive. Right. Yeah. It's a relaxation into rather than a trying to get or get rid of. So really let everything come and the stillness comes too. You let everything come and go with this love. Um, the path for each of us is going to look a little different. Okay. You know, for me, my biggest access is to go into nature and let myself relax fully in that. And that's my easiest access point. 
And so what it's going to be for you and you and you and you and you might look different. But that place where there is that sense of pervasive awareness and love, love. that is unmistakable. No matter which road you get there, <laughs> that experience is, is unmistakable. I thought I was enlightened for two days. <laughs> <laughs> At least I had the experience. <laughs> Thank you, Alma. Um, you talk about the path and, or the tools are the path to the end, but is there really an end? Isn't it just always a path in it using is, the tools? It, it, is, it is always a path. There isn't an end, but there's a sense of that place of resting. We're in that experience of resting. There isn't anything that's needed. There isn't anything to have to get rid of. There's just a sense of this continuous flow of awareness and love and showing up in it. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so in between moments of terror <laughs> and acceptance, um, Kant, when he read Hume, said... Um, I've been awakened from my dogmatic slumber. <laughs> um, this election has awakened me from my dogmatic slumber. Um, I think I now feel what it feels like to be a machine worker who is now working at 7-Eleven, who, prob- who may have voted uh, the other way than I did. And while I all this time thought my heart was open to everyone, without actually having some glimmer of what it feels to be an outsider, to have been my vision of the, of the world, this country, being rejected, that I'm no longer a part of it, uh, has awoken me. And that's a good thing. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. I think for each of us, there are huge veils of ignorance which are being lifted, and it's excruciating. And the, you know, the process of disillusionment, where our illusions are removed, is part of the path of waking up. And when we have sat in comfort and in privilege with all of our ideas around us, you know, about how it's supposed to be. And all of a sudden our world feels like it's just been turned on its head. It gives us a window into what other people have living with for a very long time that we haven't actually been able to tune into. And so there is a silver lining in the dark cloud in terms of our capacity for compassion our ability to understand and our understanding of the ignorance that we ourselves have been living with. That in that inadvertently has been a source of suffering in this world. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you for um for touching on um an answer to the biggest question that sort of looms for me in all this. Um, so in a way, you've 
I'm going to ask a question that you've already answered, so thank you for answering it. Um, but one of the ways that my mind spins in all this is that um, <clears throat> there does seem to be a very deep divide, a deep <coughs> conflict between two different kinds of people. But I look at that as not about Republicans and Democrats or the like, or terrorists and the rest of us. I look at, I look at it as a conflict between people who believe that conflict is a way forward against those of us who may believe that conflict is not a way forward. And I get tripped up because I think to myself, well, how do those of us who believe that conflict is not a way forward engage with people who believe that conflict is a way forward? And I look at this schism between those two kinds of people as being worldwide, and there are, you know, Muslims who believe that conflict is the way forward and the Muslims who believe it isn't. And so as I you know, ponder this, it seems that the answer is somewhere else. There's some alternative way of being or thinking, and it just seems that your talk today um, about refuge is... Uh, a really important and valuable gateway into whatever that alternative is. So those are my questions slash thoughts, and once again, thank you. So I think for us, when we are faced with or cornered and we feel like we just have two choices, fight or succumb, we need to look for the third option, get bigger, more loving, more grounded. And I think your question echoes one that I have. It's a koan. And I think the koan is because, to me, it's a question of consciousness development rather than it is a question of a rational response. You cannot convince a person with rational response to develop consciousness so the way I look at it, and I don't claim to be an expert on any of this, it's a little bit like trust God and tie up your camel. <laughs> you know, abide in refuge and do what you need to do on the strategic uh, legal uh, processes to ensure in any way that we can, that we're moving in a direction that supports the well-being of the many. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
dot org slash donate.